And now it's time on Flame CCR to take a look behind the studio's green door to find out who is in today's chat room. Midnight, one more night without sleeping. Watching till the morning comes creeping. Green door, what's that secret you're keeping? And now, are you listening? We're in Chester today and uh, we've just had the privilege and joy of helping three people who were trying to sleep in a car park. They're going to get moved on anyway, but before they moved on, in God's providence, we were able to sit down and have some food with them and actually kick them out so that they can have a, a little bit better way of surviving and uh, we've helped them move on today. But more importantly, they've taken the word of God with them and uh, that's been an encouraging last hour. Hello, you're listening to Flame Radio with me, John Cheek, on 1521 Medium Wave and online. And today we come to you from the Cathedral Square here at Chester, the grounds of Chester Cathedral, a very historic, a very plush, a very salubrious part of the city of Chester. But we won't be talking about plush issues and plush matters today. Instead, we'll be talking about the very opposite end of society. And today, joining me is the evangelist, Paul Thorpe. Paul, good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. Paul, first of all, can you tell us how you became an evangelist and really how it all began for you? How did you become a Christian? What's your testimony? Well, my testimony, uh, although I'm sure the Lord was working in many other ways in my life, but goes back to as I was dropping out of secondary school. And I had a maths teacher who, in the very last year of uh, my year in school, had become a born-again Christian. And I had absolutely no idea what that meant. I had no um, church background. I had no way of understanding that other than um, shouldn't he be eight stone with glasses and wearing a little white thing around his neck? I mean, that was basically my understanding of what perhaps a Christian was. But this was a guy who was very athletic. He was big. He was strong. But more than anything he was passionate about Jesus and um, because he was a very big and strong teacher he had some of the troublemakers which was uh, myself and others and uh, he came in this final year as a completely different person whereas he was someone who was very aggressive sometimes and, and very strict all he wanted to do now in our lessons was talk about Jesus and considering that most of us were going to drop out of school anyway uh, we rather than do maths work decided to ask him questions about Jesus because that was better than doing maths <laughs> but if I could have recorded them I I would listen to them today because they are some of the most passionate sermons I ever heard, even though they weren't sermons maybe, but of someone who was just totally able to express this love that he had for someone who had changed his life. And as I actually left school, he gave me a little Gideon's New Testament and he told me that the Lord had told him to give this to me. And um, because I respected him, and I actually, though we sort of played the fool with him, I did respect the fact that he was bold enough to say what we were really all sniggering at. I respected the man, and I could not fault the fact that he had changed. So I could see in his life that something was different. And I took that New Testament. I know some people who were my friends, they threw their New Testaments in the bin because he gave them to quite a lot of the troublemakers in school. But I took this little New Testament, I took it home, I put it in my top drawer, and there would be times where I'd get myself in trouble, and I would keep flicking back to it and reading little bits. But it was years and years of doing that, years and years of sort of realising that the common denominator in my life that brings me trouble was myself and nobody else, even though I could blame others. I actually read the New Testament through to actually see who Jesus is and what he had done and what he offered those who put their trust in him. I realised that I needed Jesus. 
in my life. So there was no church service. There was no interaction from anyone else other than the witness that I'd had years before from my teacher. I read the New Testament and I remember reading, going through the book of Romans and uh, not saying I understood it all. Still don't understand it all because it's wonderful, wonderfully deep. But I realized that I was a desperate sinner and that Jesus was a savior who would take desperate sinners and not only forgive them, but change them. And um, that day I cried. I cried over my sin. I wept for how I'd live my life. And yet on that same day, I knew the amazing joy of being forgiven. And uh, I knew that things had started to become different. And how did you actually go about obtaining this forgiveness? Was this a prayer that you said? Did you pray and ask for forgiveness? I did, but I couldn't actually tell you the words. I just remember sort of falling down and just being broken over how bad I was and yet how loving Jesus is, that he will forgive me. I've just got to accept him. And um, it, it wasn't a recited prayer. It wasn't something I read. But it was just an overwhelming knowledge of God's love for someone even as me. And um, it still amazes me every day. I still wake up and it is truly amazing uh, that God can, can love someone like me and also use someone like me because Jesus is not in just the business of saving people. He's in, in the business of calling people to serve him, of which there is no greater thing to do on earth. Well, that was how you came to faith. What happened next in the immediate sort of months and years that followed? What was the next episode in your story, if you like? Well, I don't want to sort of say anything too controversial, but I can only really say it as it is. I realised quite clearly, and I, and I do thank the Lord, that all I had was his word. I now realised in trusting Jesus, I then had the Holy Spirit. So then the word was now just exciting to me. It was making more sense to me. It was thrilling me. But I realized that, well, you're supposed to be with other Christians. You're supposed to be in a church. I need to get baptized. All these things that I needed to ask about and find out about. And I went to lots of different churches where from one extreme of being told, don't come here with that nonsense, to other extremes of, well, that's not what we do here. And I, I actually found that there wasn't a great open door I did, in the end, find a church that was a wonderful open door, which wasn't far from my house, which I thought was closed because it was quite an old building. But something was put through the letterbox and, and I went down and I, I shared my testimony. And um, that was really a, a wonderful provision of the Lord. But I did find that um, going to, to lots of different churches has been very helpful long term as well. I saw places where people were just overwhelmed, uh, joyous about the Lord. That was great. I thought that's how it should be. I found other places where I thought I've, I've seen more life in a funeral. But then we also need to be serious about the word. So I sort of saw that the church is a very mixed up bag. And I believe the Lord does bring his people into certain, should we say, strains of the church where it suits them more and I praise God that my local church my home church where I first was was the kind of church which today we found somebody and they, they were very interested and they, they actually wanted to come to a church service although that's not my priority to take them to church it's the kind of place I could take them and they'd be welcomed and they'd be shown love and kindness and I do believe that is the kind of church that Jesus wants every church to be a place where the broken can come to hear about him the church should never be a showroom should it uh, it should be somewhere where God displays his, his trophies of grace and uh, that we can see anyone come in in whatever condition they are uh, and tell them that there's hope for them uh, and uh, show them the compassion that God has had on us. Reflect that with a compassion to them too. Which church is this? My home church was Gwersalt, Gwersalt Congregational Church in Wrexham. And um, it was a wonderful place for me to grow. I'm not somebody who does sitting still very well. So it was great. The church uh, was really starting to grow at that time. And we were also going out to the Ukraine on missions and stuff. So there was lots to get stuck into. 
But very early on, even before I, I went to Gersel Church, as I was just going in day-to-day -day life, I, I really had this overwhelming sense where I would see people begging on the streets or see someone homeless to think, well, surely Jesus would want me to go and reach out to that person. And um, that was a burden that was on me from the beginning that got developed through my early part of my conversion that um, actually the Lord is going to call me and equip me to do such work, uh, to reach such people. And since then, you've been doing exactly that. So how can you tell me you're lonely And say for you that the sun doesn't shine Oh, let me take you by the hand And lead you through the streets of London I'll show you something to make you change your mind I think more recently you've undergone some training as well. Can you talk a little bit about the training you've had in the last couple of years or so? I actually used to come to Chester once a week just to find people on the streets. And then I got involved with the City Mission, as it was then. Uh, it's no longer the same now. And I, I come to work at Chester City Mission for a, for a few years. And at the same time, I, was, I did four years theological study with the Evangelical Movement of Wales. And um, there were a lot of people, godly people, who, who I know pray for me a lot with the work I do, who were saying, you know, we don't want you to become an ac academic. God's called you to, to go out on the streets. And um, I understand what they were saying, but being able to to know more and to study more about the Bible just made me realise that actually the more you know, actually the more you should be doing. <laughs> so it wasn't a case of, well, you just fill up with head knowledge. When we see the wonderful truths that are in Scripture, it should affect our hearts and it should motivate us to do the very things that Jesus calls us to do. So I'm very glad that I did uh, four years theological study and it does equip me when people talk about the Bible now. As we had this morning, somebody has already started reading the New Testament, the first time it's in their hands and they say, well, I was reading chapter six of, and he didn't really know where he was, but I'm, I'm thinking what's in chapter six, is it Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? So, and then when he starts talking about it, I know which portion of scripture it is and I know how I want to preach the gospel out of that portion of scripture. So I'm very glad that I did spend time in Bible study because it is vital because ultimately that's what we want people to know and to see Christ in the scriptures because that's where we see the, the, the purest picture of him, although we hope it's reflected through us as his people too. Well, just earlier on from this interview, I saw Christ in you when we went to three people who were basically sleeping in an underground car park and you took them chips and you took them special drinks with lots of protein in them and you gave them a tent, you gave them blankets and sleeping bags. Paul, can you describe your role nowadays? Is it one of basically taking Christ to the lowest of the low? Are you basically being Jesus on the streets? Yeah, it was it's very difficult actually from doing Bible study and uh, it was great doing it while I was in the city mission um, because that's what I was doing every day. I was going out on the streets. But as I did more pastoral type work, it was very difficult then to fit that in as well. And yet I couldn't leave it alone. I would know that if I went out early in the morning at a particular time at a particular place, people would be coming out of a night shelter or they'd be coming from underneath a car park and it would burden me. So it was just over a year ago that... Um, I did a funeral for a guy who'd been on the streets. He was actually one of the first homeless people I approached after I'd been converted. And uh, he did the Christianity Explored course with me. He would always meet. He'd have great questions. We'd, we'd talk and talk and talk. And yet he died in the toilets on Wrexham train station from uh, an overdose of heroin. And um, I remember at that funeral, it was a decisive point where I realised, OK, I'm trying to fit this in round other things. When actually I need to be out there every day 
Um, consistency is so important to people. I don't know how I'm going to find them. I don't know what their greatest need is going to be physically, but I do know that that their greatest need in Christ can be can be can be theirs if they'll but trust Him. So it was at that moment that I designed a little leaflet that went round a few of the churches that I know, just saying I've got this vision of buying a van kitting it out with everything so it's almost like a mobile mission everything that could help people on the streets full of bibles uh, leaflets sleeping bags survival bags food drink and when i looked at the costing of buying one of those ready made <laughs> i thought well if that's if the lord's going to do it he will but we got a little bit of money in and the van that, that i used cost just over a thousand pound and i haven't modified it other than put a load of plastic boxes and a little fridge in it and a little gas cooker and, and yet it's got everything that i need to help somebody on the street practically and i do express to them from the beginning that i'm doing this because i want to show them the love of jesus which can be theirs i hope they see that uh, it's an offer that's openly given to them to take no matter what condition they're in getting themselves off drugs is not the main issue you can come to jesus as you are and um, one of my favorite parts of scripture that i often share with people is from mark chapter 5 about jesus meeting the demon possessed man he's self-harming he's running around virtually naked around a graveyard and the people have tried to chain him down it says in the scriptures and nobody can help him nobody can help him and jesus comes to this place which socially we could say is under the car park where there's needles and dirty things because jesus goes to a graveyard there's pigs there we're told as well as a Jewish person, that would be the last place in the world you'd want to go. But Jesus desires and purposely goes there to save that man. I love sharing that scripture with them because I just say, you know, look at the condition of this man. You may be in a bad way. You may have your issues, but this man was just written off as hopeless. And yet he falls at the feet of Jesus. And then just look what happens. And um, I, I love recounting that uh, part of scripture to people to show them at the end the man is, is completely changed and he's in his right mind and he wants to be with Jesus. And yet Jesus says, well, not just yet, <laughs> and sends him out to tell others about what he did for him. And I say, I'm that man. I'm that man. I've been changed and I've been sent to tell you so that you may fall at the feet of Jesus too. And I love that aspect of the gospel. We don't go looking for people who are suitable to become Christians. We go out and we say, you know, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are today, today here is an offer uh, that Jesus makes to you. And, and I love that. I, I love the uh, confidence that we can have in God's promises in the gospel. Just to see that, the potential, that as, as the people we found today, you could look at them and think, well, my, my, there's so much work that needs to be done on these people. Uh, there's one work, it's a work of grace. And for all we know, God could be doing it now. And I, I love that. It excites me as I go out every day. Yesterday's paper telling yesterday's news So how can you tell me you're lonely And say for you that the sun doesn't shine Oh, let me take you by the hand and lead you through the, the streets of Wrexham I'll show you something to make you change your mind 
the Gospel of Matthew, there is that famous verse which goes basically with Jesus saying, whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. I might be paraphrasing slightly there, but basically, Paul, you help so many people, people on the streets, people without a roof over their head. Do you find that when you help such people that you're actually encountering Jesus at that time? It's a wonderful thing for for myself as well. It is a privilege to serve people in the name of Christ in however way we may do that. I was talking to somebody in a church recently who was saying that he would like to perhaps be doing what I was doing, but he has to care for his wife. And I said, well, I'm humbled by your service. Your service is Christ being displayed in that sacrificial day-by-day way that you serve. And we are to encourage one another in the way that we do serve Christ in different aspects. But I've also found, especially early on for myself, that although I felt this overwhelming calling for the Lord to go and reach the people that society may write off, people whose lives have just become a real mess, that when you are doing it, you are doing it for Christ. And therefore, that helps me making tea or coffee. I'll get the good coffee. I'll get the good tea. I'll get them Mars bars if if, if I can afford them rather than the Tesco ones. I'm not not, uh, having a knock if you buy Tesco Mars bars but i don't want them to have the cheap i want them to have something that shows there's a bit of worth and it is a a wonderful response that they give when you're showing that actually you matter you could give them secondhand in many cases i have to because of lack of funding but it's so much nicer to give someone a brand new sleeping bag and there's a message on that written on and it's for them this brand new sleeping bag is is just for them because you want them to know about the love of jesus So it has been a big part of what I would understand my sanctification too, because there's been times where I've tried to help people and um, it's not always romantic. It doesn't always go well. Uh, There's been times where I've been told to do things which I don't even know what they are, but I know that they're not pleasant. (laughs) But I've stopped and in that moment I thought, how would I serve this person if this was my saviour before me? And recently, uh, well maybe a couple of months back actually now, uh, there was a lady who'd come out of prison and uh, she really had a go at me. She said, you don't care, you don't do this, you don't that. And she, she basically threw back in my face what I was trying to give her. And for a second there, my, my flesh sort of said, you can't help her. And in a real sense, I can't. But I thought, I can lavish grace on this person who is doing everything possible to stop me helping them which is probably to do with their upbringing. If I don't trust you, you can't let me down. If I don't put any hope in you, then I can't be disappointed. So uh, I went off and I got the, the biggest footlong sandwich with all the trimmings. And then when I come back and I just said, look, I know what you told me to do, but I know what God's told me to do. And that is to tell you that Jesus offers his love to you. And the way that you've resisted me just helping you a little bit today, please don't resist that. You know, Please see that this is for you. And um, that's not somebody who then instantly warmed to me, but they were more open to me bit by bit. So sometimes it's very difficult. But at those moments, I do think, how would I serve Christ in this situation? In the city mission, there was times where once I changed someone's socks because they could hardly walk and if their shoes and the socks were soaking wet and we brought them in and got a nice pair of shoes from upstairs and a pair of socks and sat them down and I thought, well, let's try and treat them. They wouldn't let us take them to the hospital initially, although we did end up there in the end. So we put a bowl of warmish water and some Dettol in it, and I said, let's just wash your feet. And I thought, this is a wonderful act. Um, but then when I removed their socks and they were, their feet were open wounds, I'd feel myself being physically sick. In my mouth, I could feel I was being sick. And yet, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I ever had, because it was, I'm doing this as I would do it to Jesus, and yet Jesus did it to his disciples. And it is a privilege to do that, but it's also a, a reminder that we serve God on his his terms not on ours he will constantly call us to go beyond ourselves not just by faith what we would do 
within the situations and I, I thank God for that because it's sometimes a reality check. I don't go out just to help the people who are nicer to help. I've been called to go out and help all and uh, if they resist that then that is the challenge. How can you put more and more grace into this situation so that you almost suffocate them with grace and I, I find that sometimes you can do that and do that and then all of a sudden the Lord will break the barrier down and you can end up finding out things about people that they will share with you which then make a lot of sense to why they are so resistant to help. And that's the thing. We're not Christ in the sense that we know the people we meet. We don't know their background and their lives. But we can do if we just care enough to sit and listen to them. And knowing that, we can then be wiser in the way that we explain the gospel to them and the way we would show them love and care. Streets of Chester. Dirt in her hair and her clothes in rags. She's no time for talking. She keeps right on walking, carrying her home into carrier bags. It's a hard reality being out on the streets. People tend not to trust anyone. So to see trust built up, it, it is amazing. It's an amazing thing in a very difficult situation. But I found that over time, with a consistency, people do come to trust and they do phone me when they're in a predicament. Just recently, I had a phone call from the police station in Wrexham and this, this lady said they'd arrested this homeless man. The only number he had was my card that I give out with my number on if they need help. And she said, is there anyone you want to call? And uh, he said that I was the only person who would care. And that really got me the reality that he really has nobody and the only person he feels that he gets this care from is myself but that's because I've gone out to the places where I know he, sl he sleeps rough and I've, I've been there for him it's took a lot of time to convey that care and that compassion and while he was in prison because he did end up in prison I sent him a gospel of John and uh, I know that he was reading it while he was in prison I was talking to the chaplain who's there so that encourages me it does encourage me there is a two scale sort of thing that people when it comes to homelessness and drug addiction people can be very hard about it and say well it's their choice they're in that position because of what they've done and the people they've hurt uh, and some of that's true but there can be an over-romantic sort of view that it's not really their fault, they're just a product of their circumstances. And neither of those are right. Sometimes it's somewhere in between. But everyone's got a different story. And that's what's fascinating, to hear people's background and their story. And to be really interested in that, and yet tell them, well, despite that, there is a new hope, there is a new tomorrow in Christ. All things can change from today. And um, that's why it's such a wonderful gospel. It's far too good for us to sit on and just uh, be, be grateful for ourselves. I, I've often tried to say, if a doctor who had cancer found a cure for cancer and he just sat in his doctor's office, his whole laboratory, and said, well, I just want to appreciate the cure. I want to appreciate what it's done for me. You'd think, well, that's great, but lots of people need saving. And um, we've got something far greater than the gospel. And although it is important for us to come together and praise God for what he's done for us individually as his people, um, the main work of the church should be to be getting out there and reaching people where they're at for the whole spectrum of society, which although I do feel calling to the homeless and the addicted, I find that continually I have people come up to me and ask me why I'm doing what I'm doing. Or maybe they're out on a night out drinking or, or, or whatever or spending their money and they just come over and say, well, why do you bother with them? They're only going to do this. Only do that. And I've had wonderful gospel opportunities with people from, from a whole spectrum of society by focusing on, shall we say, the more disregarded end of society.
Paul. My wife and I, we were volunteers at a homeless shelter down south for many years. And one overriding impression that I got through obviously meeting and being involved with many people who could be classed as homeless was that there by the grace of God go all of us. And do you think sometimes the church needs to learn that lesson that it could easily be us in that place on the streets sleeping in a cardboard box. It could so easily be us. And if it isn't, then we have a responsibility to help those who are. Absolutely. And um, I think, you know, since I became a Christian, some of the things that I've had to deal with, if I didn't have Christ, if I couldn't trust in God's wisdom to have brought these things into my life and to have to deal with them and go through them, who's to say I wouldn't have tried numbing the pain with something else? Uh, and a lot of the time, that's really the bottom of drug addiction. Uh, sometimes people have played about with drugs, but then something bad has happened or there's been a family breakdown. And the only way that they felt at that time they could get through was to increase what they were taking. And that then becomes a vicious cycle of a daily need. And I've certainly found, with what, from my point of view, what I see on the street, the worst of the drugs being heroin, that that is how they view. They wake up, they feel ill, and the only way they can feel a little bit better is by getting that injection. But it also numbs the pain of life. And I think we need to remember what we have. We can cope through the, the trials and struggles of life, which we all have to go through, knowing that we have God in our lives and knowing that Christ is guiding and caring for us. If we didn't know that, how would we cope? And some of these people, they had jobs, maybe better jobs than some of us have ever had. And it just unwound very quickly. So I think we need to realise that, yeah, indeed, very quickly, especially, I think, economically with the country today, you could go from having a reasonably good job, nice car, nice little house, and that could all be taken away within six months of maybe some bad choices or some debts and the use of, of drugs or drink and your family, everything could just disappear. Nobody took that first drug or that first drink saying, well, I'm going to swap all this for that. Nobody had that sight. They start and they still think that they're doing okay. I'm coping. It's not that bad. But the reality is that when, when you're homeless and your day consists in getting a fix, getting the money and then just coping with the day as it is and then hoping you'll survive tomorrow, you've really spiraled into a really bad place. But it's not beyond the reach of God's love. What you're now going to hear is a conversation between Paul and Nathan when Nathan was homeless and Paul was taking him in his car to an appointment. And because the original recording was indistinct, we've now revoiced this for you. My name's Nathan David. Uh, met Paul by the tunnel. My name's Nathan David. I met Paul by the tunnel where we used to live. And the first day I met him, I actually got on well with him. He gave me a sleeping bag and a tent as well, and he helped me a lot, even better than the drug and alcohol services, because he understands. Yes, he's understanding, because he's been there himself. And I have raw times, and we all have, like, raw times being on the streets and that. I think of you, Paul, and I go to you straight away. That's part of my coping strategy, and you help me to cope. My mate Kev, he's an artist, and I've been drawing with him. When I told Paul about it, Paul influenced me to do art. He got me some pencils and some paper and that like, and I haven't stopped since. I just sit in my tent and just draw. And you came to a service. Yeah, really well. I did understand it. It was good. Yeah, it felt good, and I'm glad. And I'll go to church more often. That was the first time I've ever been to that. Drinking. Yes, I've been drinking since I was 15. And I am controlling it myself, and have stopped, yes. Going to church might help me, like, in the future, won't it? Yeah, yeah, so uh, what do you think about people who don't realise that they've got caught in addiction? Because uh, that's what helps you get through life. 
I share a few things from my personal experience. I don't take heroin to get high. I take heroin to get well. You mention heroin to people, and they automatically think of thieves, bad people, heroin addicts. It's no different to any other drug. Everybody's got their own different way of coping with it and doing things. All you know until you, like yourself, Paul, come across different ways. You explain different ways of coping instead of going on the criminal way, you know. You learn to cope differently. Well, that's it. Uh, I still go through struggles. What I do now is turn to Jesus to help me through those struggles rather than uh, you being in addiction already. When things are tough, you turn to that addiction. I've got someone to turn to who's not going to let me down. Yeah. Which is what we all need, being accepted and being loved. Right, you know, I've tried every other way to stop it, haven't I? But after turning to Jesus, maybe I should give it a go and see where I go from there with it. Yes, give him a go. He won't let you down, I tell you. If he can do what he's done in my life, then he can do it in anyone's life. And I know he'll do it in your life. But it's uh, like what we talked about tonight. You've got to trust him. Yeah. It's about trusting somebody who knows better than you. You know what I mean. He doesn't say, well, go ahead and get yourself detoxed and then we'll talk about it. He says, come as you are and we'll sort this out together. Do it at your own pace, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sort this out together. Yeah, and then um, do it at your own pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the all-night cafe at a quarter past eleven, same old man sitting there on his own, looking at the world over the rim. Of his teacup Each tea lasts an hour Then he wanders home Alone So how can you tell me You're lonely And say for you That the sun doesn't shine Oh let me take you By the hand And lead you through the streets of Chester I'll show you something To make you change your mind Have you seen the old man outside the seaman's mission? Memory fading with the metal ribbons that he wears. In our winter city, the rain cries little pity for one more forgotten hero and a world that doesn't care. Oh, how can you tell me you're lonely and say for you? The sun doesn't shine. Oh, let me take you by the hand and lead you through the, the streets, streets of Wrexham. I'll show you something to make you change your mind. As a street pastor in Chester, I'm aware of how the streets, particularly at night of this city, can turn and become a very dangerous place, particularly when there's been a lot of alcohol consumed. As somebody who serves people effectively living on the streets for at least part of their time, do you ever feel afraid or scared for your own safety when you're doing all this? I can only praise God that I don't. And I've been in situations which have been dangerous. I've had things thrown at me, been threatened with needles... 
but I do have an overwhelming sense of God's protection in that and um, I'm quite happy to look someone in the eye and it, it happens very rarely I must say but again I think that is because of God's grace but I can say to them look if you killed me tonight I'm happy in my death because I know where I'm going are you and a lot of it though is bravado it is defense mechanism you're saying to them I want to care about you and I often see it when someone is violent or aggressive really what they're saying is I want to know that that's true I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to do everything to push you away. I don't want to trust you. I don't want your help. And it's about resisting that. You know, I'm not going to go away. I want to help you. And people then do let the barrier down. That was a lot harder coming to work in Chester than it has been in Wrexham. Because when being in Wrexham now, where most of my ministry is, some of the people that, that are on the streets that have been about my age have known me before my conversion. And I used to like boxing and other things. And it's great because they're actually doing the work of an evangelist before they're even saved. And they'll say, do you know what he used to be like? And I would. I would openly have fights and I'd be quite aggressive and violent. So to look somebody in the eye or when they see somebody being horrible to me and I'm just trying to show love to them, they are seeing a transformation that they know is for real. And, and I'm telling them this is only because of what Jesus has done because I said, I know what I would have done years back before they'd have finished the sentence. That's the way it would have gone. And I'm quite happy to express that because they want to deal in realities. They want to know that Jesus can actually change people. That is really something of the gospel that I think we need to emphasize when we do share the gospel. Yes, Jesus can forgive. There is forgiveness in the gospel, but there's also change. There's a newness of life. Because if you say to someone, and I, I do love it when I have conversations with people on the street and they say, well, well, I could never be a Christian. You wouldn't see me in church. I said, no, you wouldn't. But the new you would. <laughs> because until you have your affections changed for Jesus in knowing his love in your life, then why would you want to do that? Why would you want to praise his name? Why would you want to thank him? Why would you want to live your life for him until you've understood who he is and accepted him for yourself? So I'm quite happy to express that to them. No, don't think about what you could be if you changed yourself because you could never do it. But just trust in Jesus and watch him change you. And um, I, I praise God that there are people who are able to express to others that they know that I'm not the sort of person who would have done this. You could have picked a hundred people and I maybe would have been one of the least ones most likely to give his life to serving Jesus. Um, there was nothing there, but there doesn't need to be. Jesus is changing. Strangers cry for help Love your brother as you love yourself You only need to seek And you will find Forgive your enemy and drop that grudge Don't judge others and you won't be judged Only knock and the door will open wide Open wide Said, answer a stranger's cry for help. Love your brother as you love yourself. You only need to seek and you will find. Forgive your enemy and drop that grudge. Don't judge others and you won't be judged. Only knock and the door will open wide. Open wide.
the day that's coming Cause I got a dream Who's gonna be walking yeah. Who's gonna be running The first will be last, so the last must come first. If the meek will inherit the earth. And he said, Answer the strangers, cry for help. Love your brother as you love yourself. You only need to seek and you will find. Forgive your enemy and drop that grudge. Don't judge others and you won't be judged. Only knock and a door will open wide Answer a stranger's cry for help Love your brother as you love yourself You only need to seek and you will find Forgive your enemy and drop that grudge Don't judge others and you won't be judged Only knock and a door will open wide Open wide Never said every little thing is gonna be alright. You're listening to Flame Radio with me, John Sheik, on 1521 Medium Wave and online. I'm sitting in Abbey Square of Chester Cathedral with the Christian with the Evangelist, Paul Thorpe, who goes to the streets of Chester and to Wrexham as well and to other places and serves those who are regarded as the least by society, those regarded as the lowest of the low, the homeless, the poor, the broken-hearted. Paul, coming towards a conclusion now... Is there one anecdote that really sticks out for you in your mind that has come about through you helping people on the streets, helping people in a bad way, people literally down on their luck? Is there one anecdote that sticks out in your mind from your work that really sums up this glorious gospel that you proclaim? There's a lot, really. I've learned to be encouraged by the small encouragements that the Lord blesses me to see. That doesn't mean I've got small expectations. I go out every day knowing each person that's reached can become a new creation in Christ that day. I don't have small expectations, but I don't get discouraged when I don't see things immediately. But I think last year we had a a young girl in her 20s who was homeless. They were living by a railway track. She was an alcoholic, but she was with a lot of heroin addicts. There was quite a few of them living in this little spot. I would go there and speak to them. And initially she was politely enough, but she said, oh, I don't need to hear that. I'm an atheist. Now, I know she hadn't really thought that through. So I just left it a little bit and I would bring different things. And what I tend to do is because I go around the charity shops, I'll buy particular things or, or get particular things that are for the individual. So I'll say, oh, I saw this jacket and I saw it was your size. I know you like that kind of with the fur on, on the hood. So I've got this for you. And that really does have an impact, not just giving out randomly. Here you are. Here's something. It's well, actually, I've thought about you and this is for you. I always write a gospel verse inside them or on the outside so that they don't sell them, but also that they're reminded of where the gift's truly coming from. But this young girl was in a bit of a bad way. But because she was an alcoholic and the others were using a lot of heroin, it was a different conversation sometimes. And uh, day by day as I would go out there and sometimes around a little bit of a fire that they had, which I had to sort of teach them how to make a fire and not burn the whole campsite down. (laughs) 
But she started talking to me and then she started sharing things about how her choices in life had meant that she'd lost her daughter. She had no care of her daughter anymore and you could see that she was being drawn to the differences. And then she started reading some of the little books I'd left and the Gospels. And uh, this went on and on. And then they moved under a railway bridge, which was quite disgusting sort of place, really. It was uh, sort of human waste and um, needles and everything. There it was, it was it was just a really bad place, but it was out of the way, and that's why a lot of people were using it. And she'd really let herself go at this point. And her hair was all matted, and she was dirty. She had got a big scar down her face from something that had happened. And the uh, the boy that she was a boy, he was a young man, but very much a boy in other ways. Who was her boyfriend? He just disappeared one day. Um, I know for whatever reason, and he'd left her on, on her own. And I remember seeing her that night and she couldn't have looked more like like a broken person who'd been left out on the side than she did that night. And she was in tears and she was very upset. And it's not something we tend to do, but I, I got in touch with my wife and said, Can I, I think we, we should bring her and help her a little bit with some dinner and just see where we go from there. And my wife saw that, that she'd met her a few times as well. It's not something we do all the time, but we really felt the Lord was saying, we need to go this little bit extra with this girl. So um, we let her add a bath and we cleaned her up, got her new clothes, some new shoes, etc. And she stayed with us for a few days. She came to church with us on Sunday as well, which was great. And um, we've got a friend who helps uh, support the ministry I do. who's got a hairdresser's. We took her there. She had her hair washed. She had her hair styled. And at the end of it, she was a completely different girl. And very quickly then, because she'd been banned from local night shelters for uh, assaulting someone with a sherry bottle, we were able to move her on and say, can we get this girl housed? And she had some temporary accommodation. And uh, today she's actually back with her father. She lives with her father, who we didn't know at the time, but has custody of her daughter. So she's with her daughter. Uh, She's learning to be a parent again. And for me, although that's not the full transformation, I want to see her. We won't be happy and we won't stop praying until we see that. Although we haven't seen her, we don't have her address, we've got no further contact. But I know the gospel was shared with her a number of times and uh, the compassion and love of Christ was shown to her, the difference that Jesus makes. And uh, that little bit of how you can change somebody, although it was on the outward, I just thought, wow, that's what I want to, I want to see that every time I see someone, no matter what state they're in, I, I want to see what God can make of them. Because Christ does amazing things with the written off, <laughs> because we all are really written off. Though these people may be written off by society, God doesn't write off the sinner. He beckons the sinner, he calls them, and he does change them. And um, it was one of those things, because we helped that girl a lot, it really helped the rest of the ministry. People saw that, okay, they see me in the streets, they'll they'll take a a gospel pack with a Mars bar and a drink. They might have a hot drink off me, sleeping bag, etc. I think some of them then go, oh yeah, and he might go on a bit about Jesus. Just let him go on a bit and get the stuff that you want. I'm sure some of that is how some people see it. But I think it took it to another level, to a witness to those who lived on the streets that saw, actually, if you'll let us, we'll help you as much as we can. And that was a real breakthrough, I think, for really getting a respect. And, um, yeah, it, it was also an encouragement. And, Paul, there was also another surprising answer to prayer at Christmas last year, 2014, when you also drove somebody who had been homeless and rough sleeping for a while back home to Real at his wife's request and reunited him with his wife and children at Christmas and you even supplied some presents for him to take back to his wife and to his children as well. But I, I have seen people, I put their trust in the Lord, and that's why I'm, I'm confident that it can happen again. But that's God's work, not mine. My work is to go and tell people about Jesus. 
and uh, to be a confirmation of his love rather than a contradiction. A confirmation of Christ's love rather than a, a contradiction of it. Paul Thorpe, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. You're listening to Flame Radio on 1521 Medium Wave and online. Paul Thorpe's ministry is called Therefore Go, because Jesus sends us. We must therefore go and take the life-changing, soul-saving gospel message out to the lost. Paul Thorpe can be contacted on 01978 750026. That's 01978 750026 or 077-1784-1885. That's 077-1784-1885. And Paul's email is paulsavedbygrace at live.co.uk. And that's all in lowercase. And the first bit is all one word. paulsavedbygrace at live.co.uk. This is now Carrie Job with There's Nothing Worth More, a track that we at Flame sense links to a homeless theme. The other music was Roger Whittaker's Streets of London, Manchester and Wrexham, and also Martin Joseph's He Never Said. There's nothing worth more That will ever come close No thing can compare you're our living hope Your presence Lord. And I've tasted and seen Of the sweetest of loves When my heart becomes free And my shame is up Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere Your glory Oh, 
Picking up the papers with his worn out shoes In his eyes you see no pride Hand held loosely by his side Yesterday's paper telling yesterday's news Have you seen the old girl who walks the streets of London Dirt in her hair and her clothes in rags She's no time for talking She keeps right on walking Carrying her home Into carrier bags In the all-night cafe At a quarter past eleven Same old man Sitting there on his own Looking at the world Over the rim of his teacup Each tea lasts an hour Then he wanders home Alone Have you seen the old man Outside the seaman's mission Memory fading With the metal ribbons that he wears In our winter city The rain cries little pity For one more forgotten hero And a world that doesn't care Oh, how can you tell me sun doesn't shine Oh, let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London I'll show you something to make you change your mind
close the chat room door, but please tune in next time to Flame CCR on 1521 Medium Wave for more from Green Door Studios chat room. Green Door! hope you enjoyed this program, which is under the copyright of Wirral Christian Media Limited. Details of the Flame CCR broadcasts and webcasts are on our website, www.flameradio.org. Thank you for listening. Flame.